Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Steve Asawa continues our series of messages on the Gospel according to Mark, today looking at Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 19. And now, here's Steve. Good morning. Thank you to our opening team, Hannah, Bruce, Becky, Ryan, Trevor, and thank you, Chris. It's great to have you up sharing, singing and sharing with us, praising the Lord with us all, just leading us in praise. Indeed, as we just sung a couple of courses ago, for I am his and he is mine bought with the precious blood of Christ. And that's why we're here this morning. Uh, Some of you may remember Sorry. Some of you may remember when I introduced this gospel, I noted that it can be viewed as a drama with three acts. So the first act occurs in the region of Galilee. And the people are wondering, they're seeing Jesus, they're hearing Jesus, and they're wondering, who is this man? In Act 2, we have Jesus and disciples going from Galilee to Jerusalem. And there they're finding out, they're getting, the disciples getting a feel for who Jesus is, why he came. And they're getting a feel for what it means to be his disciple. And now we come to Act 3. Jerusalem. So Jesus comes to Jerusalem as the Messianic King. So as Ryan mentioned, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter four, or sorry, Mark chapter eleven this morning, verses one to nineteen. So we'll be looking at Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, his cursing of the fig tree, and cleansing of the temple. Before we do that, let's just open with a word of prayer, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we just pause and just thank you for your goodness and love. Father, it's so hard to comprehend your love and your goodness to us that the God of the universe created and loved ones like us. And so much that he sent his son Jesus to pay the price for our sin. It's so so hard to comprehend. We just thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for your spirit. And as we prayed earlier, open our hearts and our minds, Lord, to what you would have us learn and apply to our lives today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you were here last time, you saw me try and put a map up and didn't do so well at the point there. Let's see if I get better this time. So, oh, look at that. <laughs> Hey, it's got three buttons on it. So, our passage this morning is really happening right here. Here's Jerusalem. The Mount of Olives is a long ridge, kind of going up this way. Bethany is right here, very near Jerusalem. It's about three kilometers from Jerusalem. And in between Bethany and Jerusalem, you have Bethphage. It's not on the map. It was a walled suburb just outside of the walls of Jerusalem, but... 
And it was maybe about a kilometer from Jerusalem. So that's where our, our story takes place today. So I'm going to do something different this morning. I'm going to read the first 11 verses together. So I'll read the light print, and I'll ask that you read the bold print. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So Jesus sends two of his disciples to get the donkey, likely from Bethphage. And it's likely that Peter was one of the disciples that was sent Uh, You may recall that much of Mark's information for the gospel came from Peter. Now, while Roman soldiers could commandeer an animal like that, in this case, they just said, the Lord needs it. And when you think of it, it might be strange that somebody would let the disciples just take the donkey, isn't it? I think, though, that this displays Jesus' authority over everything. It was no prearranged deal, you know, I've already sent some money ahead for the, to rent the donkey. It was people's obedience to God's leading in their lives. Now, this donkey had never been written, so it makes it a little more appropriate for a king. No used animals allowed. Now, can you imagine being notified that your new car is in, and somebody comes and says, the Lord needs it? Hmm. Well, how would you react? it. Who? Better not scratch it. <laughs> now the Jewish people were looking for a king and they wanted one though who's going to be this victorious conqueror. Their hope or their expectation would have been higher during the Passover which was a reminder of God freeing his people from bondage in Egypt. Matthew's account of Jesus entering Jerusalem adds this. He says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
So the Jewish people in the crowds may have recalled Zechariah 9.9 when they saw Jesus. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, while putting cloaks on the colt might have been done just to give Jesus a rough saddle, throwing cloaks over the road was something done for royalty. It's interesting to note the difference in the wording between Zechariah and Matthew, though, isn't it? Zechariah on the right says, See your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. Matthew just said gentle and riding on a donkey. And what did the people say? Hosanna! We're told that those who went ahead and those who were behind shouted, and likely antiphonally. So one group would shout something, the other group would respond. We have this, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Vine's New Testament word pictures notes that Hosanna means save, we pray. The Bible knowledge commentary suggests Hosanna in the highest means save us, O God, who lives in heaven. And although Hosanna was probably a cry when it was first used, save us, Lord, it now seems to be, have become a shout of praise. Hosanna! The people shouting Hosanna when Jesus entered Jerusalem comes from Psalm 118. And Psalms 113 to 118 form the Hallel. And essentially these are psalms of praise and they were recited at key feasts and in response to the priest. And it was accompanied by the waving of palm and willow branches. And the last day of that feast was called the Great Hosanna. And the boughs were also called Hosannas. And also... You know, if there's triumphs and things, people be waving boughs. Blessed is he, or may he be blessed who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. We know that Jesus' disciples were shouting loudly as he rode into Jerusalem. And we know that because in Luke's gospel... He knows that the Pharisees wanted Jesus to rebuke his disciples. But while many of the crowd were anticipating the coming Messiah, Jesus wasn't the one that they were looking for. He just didn't fit the mold. And I would suggest that most of those people, maybe some of the disciples excluded, although they realized there's some mess when he was coming in. And when they're shouting Hosanna, Many in the crowd were there, just were going through the rituals of the Passover celebration. The reality is, as we know, that Jesus, the Son of God, came as the suffering servant. As we saw last week, Jesus came as the one who did not come to serve, sorry, who did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus had told his disciples that he would be killed and he still pressed forward. 
and we can all be so thankful that he was willing to follow his, follow his father's will, even though it led to his crucifixion. In verse 11, we're told that Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So this is just uh, a model of the temple area. And so, uh, right in, in this section out here, you can't really see it, there's a bit of an open space in the front too. So on, on these sides, out in the courts, you have the court of the Gentiles. You have the, the sacred, so here you have this sacred area, uh, the court of the women, court of Israel, and in here you have the holy place and the holy of holies. So Jesus doesn't go into that sacred area per se, but he checks out the premises to see if it's being used as God intended. It's getting late, the gates are extremely closed, so he goes to Bethany. And as we noted earlier on in our studies of, the, of this gospel, Bethany was about, sorry, as we noted earlier, Bethany was about three kilometers from Jerusalem and Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived there. And so it's likely that Jesus' disciples stayed with them. Now, it's not quite lunchtime yet, but anyone getting hungry? Because here we have what's sometimes referred to as a Markin sandwich. So it's for those who hunger for the word. And I hope we're all eating, reading God's word on a daily basis and growing in our knowledge and love of the Lord. So here we have the account of Jesus clearing the temple, sandwiched in between two parts of the account of Jesus cursing the fig tree. And the stories are linked and one supports the other in emphasizing Jesus' frustration and concern with what was going on. Verse 12. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. So Bethany uh, was the house of dates, and its name came from the number of palm trees which grew there. Bethphage was the house of unripe figs. Now, when you read this passage, at a glance, it seems strange that Jesus would curse the fig tree if it wasn't the season for figs. Fig trees, however, can produce small green buds before the leaves come out. These buds, or early figs, are fruit and they're edible, and their presence indicates that there's going to be fruit later on. In this case, the leaves were out, but there was no fruit. The leaves simply made it look like a fruit-bearing tree. As an aside, 
The fig tree is very important symbolic in Israel. It's first mentioned in Genesis where Adam and Eve made clothing out of the fig leaves. It's mentioned as one of the, the valuable products of Palestine. It was a sign of peace and prosperity. For example, you shall live under your own vine and fig tree. It provided medicine. It provided food. And it was even used in prophecy as an analogy. For example, in Jeremiah, where he talked about a basket of good figs and a basket of bad figs. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple. He overturned the table of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. So people were coming to the temple at Passover and they were required to pay into the treasury and offer sacrifices. So every Israelite 20 years or older was required to pay a half shekel every year as an offering to Jehovah. And it was a specific half shekel piece that they had to submit. There's no other coins, no debit, no Apple Pay. It was a very specific coin. And so the mangers had set up tables from which they can convert various funds for this half shekel coin. For a small fee, of course. And it's likely sometimes they charged a lot more than a small fee. Sacrifices were required and people would purchase them when they arrived. Caiaphas, the high priest, had authorized the establishment of a market in that temple area. The outer courts, the court of the Gentiles, were filled with pens for sheep and goats and cattle. Couldn't afford one of those. Well, doves were also sold there. Oh, you need pottery to prepare your sacrifice to eat? Well, hey, we got some for sale here too. Wine, oil, salt, everything you needed was on sale. And to make matters worse, people were using the court as a throughway, as a shortcut going in and out of Jerusalem. So what was supposed to be a place where people can go and worship had become just a busy, noisy marketplace. It wasn't the sanctuary for worship that God intended. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called the house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. So Jesus quoted from Isaiah 56. In 56 verses 6 and 7 read this. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister him to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and all who hold, hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called 
a house of prayer for all nations. A similar message and warning is also found in the book of the prophet Jeremiah. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah, who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, This is the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, and then he goes on, Then I will let you live in this place in the land I gave your ancestors forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. So Jesus was clearly offended by the way his house was being treated. It should have been a place where people of all nations could gather and worship God. Instead, it was a mess. In dealing with the money changers, the marketplace, and those using the temple area as a shortcut, he establishes, establishes the true purpose. And in doing so, Jesus establishes his authority. The Son of God, who cleared the temple, is greater than the high priest who allowed the marketplace to happen. He just cleaned up the mess that the high priest allowed. Perhaps some thought about the message in Hosea 9, where the leaders would be driven out of God's house, or Malachi 3, where God's messenger would come like a purifier of refiner, sorry, would come and purify and be a refiner of silver. And the people were amazed at his teaching, just as they were on other occasions. So the chief priests and the teachers of the law are scared. God intended, and what they, what you have made and are robbers. You are out of line with God. Clearly, this challenges their position, their authority, and their status. And they began to scheme about ways to kill him, behind the scenes, of course. And Jesus and the disciples leave the city at night, likely returning to Bethany. So let's just recap quickly. So we have Jesus sending out two of his disciples to get a colt that no one has ever ridden. Cloaks are put on the colt and people put cloaks and branches on the ground. They're shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he! Blessed is the coming kingdom! Jesus inspects the temple area then he goes out to Bethany that night. Then the next day he Coming back in, he's hungry, and he curses a fig tree that has no fruit. He clears the temple area. He establishes his authority as the Son of God. And again, that's even above that of the high priest. He's the Son of Man who came not to serve, or not, sorry, not to be served. Can't get that right today. Serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And the people were amazed at his teaching. So why should we care? Well, I think we should care. I would submit we should care. Jesus has shown 
that he is the one who truly has authority over everything, right? He demonstrated this through his getting the colt, through his cursing the fig tree, through his cleansing of the temple, through his teaching. And the Bible keeps pointing to him all the time, as we saw again this morning. Many were going to the temple, but probably not necessarily for the right reasons. God wants our hearts. It's about the heart. He wants us to live our lives as an act of worship. Being a churchgoer and being a follower of Jesus aren't necessarily the same thing. It's not that coming to church isn't important. It is. It's very important. However, our focus needs to extend beyond Sunday morning. And our focus on God needs to take place 24-7. We have to focus on Him. The prophets, such as Isaiah and Jeremiah, pointed out that God isn't pleased with sacrifice and offering when the heart is far away. That's just being religious. We're to be in a relationship with the one who came to serve and to give his life as ransom for many. It's my prayer that all here have made or will make before the day is up a decision to entrust our lives to Jesus. Jesus cursed the fig tree because it bore no leaves, sorry, because it bore leaves and had the appearance of fruit. But it actually didn't produce any fruit. It was a warning that the nation was going to be judged for its unfruitfulness in spite of all the blessings that God had bestowed on it. Jesus was putting the people on notice that religious pretense isn't acceptable to God. So appearance doesn't count. If the test of being a Christian is producing fruit acceptable to God, would you, would I, pass the test? Or are we being like fig trees with leaves but not bearing any fruit? Appearance of being godly, but the hearts aren't there. The behavior in the temple area was offensive to God. Lots of activity, but no fruit, and severe consequences to follow. We know that later on the temple was destroyed. And how do we approach God? Do we come with awe and reverence, with the desire to worship? Or do you just casually come and go on Sunday mornings because that's the thing we do on Sunday mornings? We can't hide and hope that he doesn't see what goes on. Let's close off by reading together from part of Psalm 118. So, if we saw Jesus riding in, you see, when Jesus comes back, how are we going to react? So, for these, the first verses, these first verses, I'll read the first part of the line. And you read the response, please, and then we'll read the rest of it together. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Let Israel say, Let those who fear the Lord say, And I'll add, And let the saints here at Bible Fellowship Assembly say, 
Let's read the rest together. From my distress, I called upon the Lord. The Lord answered me and put me in an open space. The Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Open the gates of righteousness to me. I will enter through them. I will give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. I will give thanks to you, for you have answered me, and you have become my salvation. A stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. Please, O Lord, do save us. Please, O Lord, do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifices with the horns of the altar of courts. You are my God, and I give thanks to you. You are my God, and I exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy is everlasting. Amen. Father God, we're grateful for the time spent this morning here in your presence as a community. And I just pray that the things we, we heard would be applied to our lives, Lord. And um, like the fig tree, or unlike the fig tree, we'd be bearing fruit in our lives. So other people would see that and be drawn to you. As we leave this place, I just pray that we would go in peace and uh, until we come together again or we call us home. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you're in the Timmins area or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.